Tough Love is brought to you by my new book, Love Language. We probably don't need a book out on this one. You'll hear why. Skip ahead with me to June 2023. You're in my friend Mike Williams' capable hands. Thank you very much. You know, Thank you, the guy with all the honey from our Help My Parents Getting Older episode. Fancy hotel. Mike's holding the mic because I have a lot on my plate tonight. Oh, oh my God. Oh. Mike Williams with the recorder. Oh. How's it going? Is it on? Is it recording? It's on. It's rolling. Oh, oh shit, yeah. Oh, and Magnus and I are in Australia together. I'm feeling nervous. Magnus knows I feel nervous. Who gives a shit? I don't know, me. So true, I, feel... I just keep saying, you already did the thing. You already wrote the book and it came out. Who gives a shit about this? I don't know. I just feel like I need to poo or maybe I am pooing right now in my dress. Like there's a physical reaction that I can't. Um... Yeah, well, I try to not poo. Oh, you've held it in. I have a you... dance I do to make it go back up. <laughs> Like, if you really have to poo before something important, there's a dance, a patent and dance move. Do you I want to do the dance? No. No. This is but patented. There's no way this is going to be usable at all. You're holding up a microphone. This is so bad, Mike. So the book's come out today, went into a bookstore today, went into Dimmick's and, like, saw the book sitting in there, bought a copy of my own book. <laughs> just, actually, to, just to know what it felt like? Actually, Magnus bought it and I got so embarrassed that I stormed out of the bookstore because I didn't want anyone to, who would ever recognise it, but I was like, what if someone is like, that's the author buying their own book on publication day? It's so embarrassing. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. promotion for the book on the street. What'd you do? Yeah, yeah. I just bought it and I did the... (laughs) This is Magnus waving the book on, was it George Street? This is what a supportive boyfriend looks like, is buying the book on publication day, waving it up above his head like a speaker in the middle of the CBD and yelling at the top of his lungs at 10am on a Tuesday morning. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Tessa, Linda's publisher from Alan and Unwin. Linda is a presenter, podcast host, and she's also now officially today an author. You've heard my little plug at the beginning of episodes, but this has been almost two years of my life. It's more personal than anything I've ever released before. It's also a big deal because there's been a lot going on in the lead up to this day. Oh, shit, I've got it on moot. Moot. In the months and weeks before the book went to print, <laughs> Is this working? my editor Tessa and I were having some very real area, conversations. Like- it's very loving, but it's also quite tense. Yeah. I do wonder if there's some sort of, I don't know, not a heads up, but some sort of way that I can say to my mum, I cover these things. I don't want you to be scared. Yeah. At this point also, it's like very late to take out yeah. the vast majority of the stories that are in there, which everything in context, I don't think anyone is going to be like, your mom's a bad person. That's not where you end up. You know what I mean? Like it's it's all love. We just understand her better by that, you know. I definitely feel like I'm I'm happy with where it's at. Yeah. But 
I also don't want to blindside people who are Yeah, yeah. No book deal and no book sales are worth, like, your family being upset by something. And then there was just stuff like what the cover would look like. How do you feel about these colours? I don't mind the colours. Yeah. I don't mind the colours. Yeah. Normally authors aren't as anally hands-on in their cover design, but it was important to me how this thing that I worked on for so long is presented to the world. Do you want me to tell you which one the meeting loved and that is their preference? Yeah. Is number 10. But they're open to playing with fonts and, like, playing around with it a little bit more and making sure. But in terms of the composition, that was Mm -hmm. their preference. I don't mind the composition. Mm -hmm. What I would love would be to see other ones that don't have that graphic. Mm -hmm. This might not seem like a big deal, But holding my ground like this and being honest in these sorts of chats is something I'm learning to do now. Being truthful, even if it feels fucking awkward to do so, and to lean against the instinct in me that wants to be agreeable and say yes in every situation. Rewind to almost one year before the book launch. It's August 2022. I'm in my flat no on my disco. own, dancing around like this a little fucking no dickhead. I'm on deadline for the this book. I'm packing up my stuff and I'm starting to say job. goodbye to all Doesn't of my friends. I don't know where. Oh my. Hello. It's Kumi Taguchi. She's a journalist who's one of our best friends, who's popped up on Tough Love a lot. (laughs) I could hear someone stomping up the stairs. Come in. I have to take my shoes off. Not that much has changed, except a lot of stuff is gone. It's got that feeling of not quite being you're settled in home now. And you know what's really weird being here? We leave each other up to about six or eight voice messages a day. What are you having for breakfast? What are you doing now? How was your walk? How's the packing going? I've had this minor meltdown. It's the sound of this place. It's the sound of your voice through my phone. <laughs> I'm going to miss it. Sit down. I'll, um, do you want a tea? Hey, cheers. Cheers. Come by. Do you say come by when it's tea? I don't think so. You tell me. You're the sweet Japanese woman on my couch. (laughs) I left Kumi a a bit of a teary voicemail. When was it? Two days ago. Yeah. Because you and I will be able to keep up our friendship, and that's so nice. But saying goodbye to family, like that physical stuff will change. You know, honestly, I try to FaceTime Nonna at the nursing home and she'll maybe last four minutes on a FaceTime, four or five minutes. Dad, I can talk to a little bit. Mum, you know, barely. But only in this last day, I think I've started to get just a little bit sentimental about it. 
so much of your interaction with your family, from what I know, yeah. is around food or you're making food or there's piles of food on the table or you're giving your nephews a bath. There's a real kind of beautiful normalness about it I think would be very difficult to replicate from afar. And that is sad. Like I went round to your brother's place for lunch. Mm. What I loved looking at and observing when I was sitting there was just this, you and Om, you and your sister-in-law have this I don't know if you've ever worked in hospitality before, right? So I have actually. You're in a, you know when you're in a kitchen and you know that someone's behind you so you don't open the dishwasher? There's a sort of seamless dance. You and Om have that. And you're chatting about something else and there was this beautiful physical cleaning up of the kitchen, a very mundane, normal thing, but there was something really heartwarming about it. I actually feel quite emotional thinking about it. This should be and is a time when you're like, Thank fuck, after all this time, I'm finally going. I'm finally not in a long-distance relationship. I've got that visa, which I've fought so hard to get, so much uncertainty. And so I feel like there's often this emotional pressure. It's like, you should be elated right now. You should be waking up every morning going, oh, my God, it's happened. I'm so excited. But there's a sadness to leaving. You can hold two things at once. You can miss someone and have a great day. Doesn't mean you don't miss them anymore. You can be excited about going to LA and you can feel a sense of loss. And it's taken me such a long time to learn that it's okay to hold both. And I was going to say conflicting emotions, but actually I don't think I should even use the word conflicting because it implies that they're bashed up against each other and are fighting each other. There's this beautiful Buddhist notion of joy and sorrow. It's this kind of saying that when you're joyful, look deep in your heart because what you're probably joyful for, you're joyful because you know what it feels like to feel sorrow. If you're skipping along a beach and thinking, oh my gosh, I just love this so much, it's kind of because you know what it feels like to feel the opposite, dragged down or sorrowful. And the opposite's true when you're feeling sorrowful. It's often that you're feeling sorrowful for things that were joyous. So when you miss your family, it's because you're missing actually the moments of joy. Kumi and I have been talking recently about being uh, like recovering people pleasers and we even kind of fucking hate the word. So this is where I struggle with it. Um, you say to me, hey, I'd love to go out for dinner and I'm actually really tired and had a shitty day at work and want to go to bed. But because I'm a people pleaser, I say, oh, that sounds great. But then I actually don't want to be there, right? So the recovering people pleasers kind of like, hey, dumpy, actually a little bit tired and don't feel like it. Doing something nice for someone else therefore makes you a people pleaser. And that goes against a lot of my values of compassion, being kind, thinking about others. My love for you, my desire to make you happy might mean that I compromise myself in that moment, but it doesn't necessarily make me a people pleaser. I don't think. It actually makes me just compassionate. There's all this kind of like pseudo psychology on Instagram and you and I like look at it a lot too. Like, these are signs of being a people pleaser and this is how you should feel when you set a boundary. But it feels very hard 
it doesn't feel like we can then tap into our compassionate selves, our kind selves, our giving selves, which is a nice part of who we are as well. So how do we set boundaries while still being kind? I'm a little bit more honest. So a good example of that is that I was at a big black tie event and one of my really good mates texted me and said, oh my God, you're here too. Let's catch up after the ceremony or whatever it was. And I'm like, that sounds good. Got to the end of this three hour thing and I was exhausted as, as an introvert. Like all I want to do at that point is go home and just recharge. Old Kumi would have either just not texted, waited for him to text and me go, oh my God, I had to kind of rush home. Something urgent came up. Like kind of these little, little lies. Instead, I thought, no, I'm going to actually be honest and proactive here. So I texted him straight after the ceremony. I said, hey, was so looking forward to catching up. That's the other thing I go, is every word I'm writing or saying true? Mm. Was so looking forward to catching up, true. Feeling actually really exhausted after that three-hour ceremony, true. But instead of making up a little lie, I went, my inner introvert has totally come out, true. I really need to get home and recharge. I don't think I can stay any longer true. I got a response back going, oh my God, totally know how you feel. I'm exactly the same. Look forward to catching up another time. That's so good. Is it true? And it's not even like factually true, but is it that feeling true? I don't want it to be from that place of people pleasing or insecurity or anxiety. I want it to be from the better version of myself. (laughs) As you were telling me that story and you said that you would otherwise have just told like a little lie. Yes. My complete instinct would be to fucking lie. Yes. To be to be what I would think is kinder to the person. Like I've lied before and been like, I've got a Zoom at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. My producer's in New York. Like just completely fucking lied to get out of some dinner instead of just going actually, I just need a night at home. Like that instinct is so in there. Why is it there? I don't know. I don't go away. What is that? And why is it? Let's say that example of the event. Don't want to let him down. But also it's funny, isn't it? About our egos. It's not going to actually let him down. Yes, it it is. It's a fucking ego. It totally is. No one fucking cares if you go to the party no one shit we'd never known each other was going to be there we're not great great friends my absence at an after drinks thing where we might have just gone oh my god hey how's life how the kids how's the wife for 10 minutes it's not going to devastate his entire trip that's it practice an ego thing i'm a fucking egotistical asshole we are not that important for me And with that, cheers. Cheers. Where should we sit? Is it where we should actually sit or is this all foley? This is all foley, man. When I had my brief little LA trip back in episode three, I went to visit another close friend who has successfully been there, done that with the idea of people pleasing and has learnt how to be honest with his opinions and his work. Okay, so we're, we're walking around little Benny's house. It's Benny Blanco. T- t- talk to us about your room that we're in. I guess it's like an artist workspace where you put up like references. The room is covered 
with pictures and and drawings. And He's been a music producer for years and has worked with everyone, record players, from Ed Sheeran a to Rihanna, disco ball. Katy Perry there's to Justin Bieber. Meryl Streep on top of a Fig Newton, but it's a candle. And in recent years, like he's stepped into the spotlight as an artist himself. One pill. Right. What's the pill? Uh, just if I want to end it all. Benny is very self-assured. Before I got to know him, I would never have guessed that he was a lifelong people pleaser. I think it's from when I was a kid. My parents had like a bad marriage. I always wanted like people to love me. I was always like, I can't go to bed with someone being mad at me or this or that. So I think I always said yes to everything because I thought that's the easiest way to like make someone love you. Like I would find myself in these binds where I've said yes and committed to so many things. Ah, and I'd be going fucking insane. Our job for so long has been to say yes and be a people pleaser. Like, that's our job. An uh, artist comes in, they're like, I want this, this, and this. And I'm like, yes. Or like an artist comes to you and they're like, they're like, I want to be uh, in this side and you should ask me this question and don't ask me any questions about this. And you're like, okay, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that it's okay to say no. And sometimes it's even better. You wind up doing something and you're kind of doing it half-assed because you don't want to do it, but you're doing it because you said you'd do it. It doesn't have to be confrontational either. It can just be the truth. Like now I would say, oh, sorry, that's not where my head's at creatively right now. Or, oh, I'm just doing my own album. Or, oh, this doesn't resonate with me. And like, you should get with someone who like totally has your same vision. How did you figure out that you needed to do that? After saying yes for 20-something years, I just realized (laughs) I'm living for everyone else and I'm not living for myself. And I still say yes to almost everyone, but I figured out it's okay to say no sometimes and it's okay to be like, well, let me think about it. Mm. Rather than just being like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. I'm totally down. And then you don't do it. Then you're just like a flaky L.A. asshole. Do you think that going out on your own as a solo artist, actually makes it easier to set those boundaries? Yeah, but it's also, you know, you dig your own grave if it's bad. So if something's bad, it's like you don't have anyone to blame anymore. Fuck, it's my fault. I'm the record label and the artist and the producer. It actually, it does make it feel so much more risky because you're on the hook. It's so different when you put out stuff that's got your name on it. Yeah. This podcast, Linda said something that's fucked up and she's the one who edits and does all the podcast. You're holding the fucking microphone yourself. You do every part of this. I know. It's made it so much harder to release something. Do you get nervous when you release your own stuff now still? No. No, I don't get nervous at all. I make it for myself. And then if other people like it, that's cool. And it just so happens that what I like, a lot of other people like. But not nervous. Like I just always get excited. Like I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. And then like, wow, I spent this last like 18 months on this thing. And like, they just press a button and then it's done. Benny, thank you for hanging out. Was that good? You weren't recording at all. I wasn't. That was the prep. Has that ever happened? Oh my God. I've done that so many times. Fast forward to the book launch in 2023 and I asked award-winning writer and broadcaster Benjamin Law to MC. 
I love this book, Love Language, so much, and it's not just because I'm a fellow child of divorce raised by a Chinese Malaysian parent. Are we? <laughs> are we siblings? We're siblings. We're siblings. Yeah. We're siblings. How are you feeling right now? I think just when you care so much about something and when you spend so long having a career that's really public, but always shining it onto someone else, like. I pride myself on being an interviewer and like, let's give your story, give your story. So when you actually are on the hook for something that's yours, that you own, that's your name, that if people don't like it, it's you that they don't like. Like it's all that stuff that comes in. You're like, oh fuck, <laughs> what's going to happen now? Let's talk about the people because your wonderful, gorgeous mother is here tonight. In fact, I think you might even be wearing one of her I'm wearing my mum's dress tonight. <laughs> my mum actually dropped it off here last night and I heard that you told the hotel staff that you wanted a walkthrough of the venue before you came here tonight. <laughs> that is dedicated parenting, yes. Not only did you drop off this dress, you also dropped off another backup dress that you thought might look good, three pairs of shoes, and what was the last thing? Mask. Make sure you look. <laughs> no, it was the mask, but it was also an electric toothbrush. Look, this is like premium Chinese Malaysian yeah. mothering, right? So here, this I'll is, this is kind, of, kind of like the context of the book starts from, which is my mum <laughs> just like being there for me in every way possible, which is sometimes so much to deal with. Yeah. What did you? But want it's like so fiercely loving as well. Absolutely, which is a love language, right? Yes, exactly. And what did you want to document about your evolving relationship with your mum in the book? I think. I think it's like you're the person that I think about so often because I want to do right by you. For me, there's always been this sense of, like, how well am I doing? How does this look from a public angle? What does my mum think? Mm. One of the joys for me reading the book is, like, there is a wiser present-day Linda riding these passengers mm. that, that's very matter-of-fact, but the subtext is, this is messed up. It's so crazy how the lessons I learned through writing the book helped me see it through to the end. With your family and your friends. Did you have to, like, sense check this book with them? Were you like, is this how it happened? Is this... That was the hardest. That was, I reckon, the hardest thing, which I kind of had to block out when I was writing it and just go, just write the shit out of the chapter. Pretend it's a movie and write, the girl just happens to look like you. Just write it. (laughs) And then you'll figure it out later. Tessa will tell you if legal won't clear it. Just write it. Just write it. Like, Tessa, my editor, knows. I feel like towards the end of the book writing, she'd be like, I'm pretty sure you should show this to someone. <laughs> me. Please, show someone. And that's been part of the lesson to learn is, like, owning it. Because all, all of it's in there for a really special reason, and inherently it's a love letter to all, all of those relationships. So I did have that conversation with my mum about some of the more vulnerable scenes in the book. And for a relationship that's normally based on running errands and checking that I have my electric toothbrush, it was quite a deep conversation that was honest. It was sort of heavy in parts. And we worked through, I think, a lot of tenderness that was from the past. In the end... I think we both feel closer to each other than we ever have. 
and she's even been selling the book to all of her salsa party friends because she brings them in her handbag. And she's been signing the inside of it. (laughs) I said at the start that this is a book about relationships, your relationships with other people, but it's also about your relationship with yourself. Mm. And I'm curious, what did you learn about yourself in writing the book that you didn't know before you started? I remember one night sitting on a couch and I was like, what's the rock in my pocket that I don't really talk about but I know is the thing that I've carried through my whole life and it's this feeling that I've always performed. Mm. Whether or not I'm on air, I'm, like, performing. But I didn't realise how much going deep into those relationships and into the way I behaved over the years would actually benefit me so much by the end. Like I come full circle in a really beautiful way where I understand how and why I like to serve or please the people that I do love, but I do it in a new way. This is one of the passages I was hesitant about. When I was growing up, my parents would often invite other couples over for dinner. Eavesdropping on one of their small dinner parties, I heard something that made me realise just how hard I needed to work for my mother's approval. Something that stuck with me. I was still in my early teens at the time, and after dinner, my brother Sam and I would be excused to go to bed while the adults continued talking and drinking. I would lie in bed for around 40 minutes, watching the red numbers of the digital clock on my bedside table ticking over. One night, satisfied that enough time had passed for my parents to be convinced I was asleep, I rose on silent feet and opened my bedroom door. The carpet was soft under my bare toes as I crept along the hallway, past my brother's bedroom and towards the sliver of light coming from beneath the dining room door. With my right ear ever so slightly touching the door, I could hear the voices distinctly. The couple who had come over were asking my parents a question. Have you got a favourite? My dad's voice. No, not at all. His Italian accent emphasised the T sounds in this phrase, so it came out as, no, not at all. I heard coffee cups probably filled with a shot of espresso and a healthy dash of liquor, being picked up and placed down on our thick saucers. They would be using the good cups, white with brown stripes, with no chips in the ceramic. The male voice pressed on in a playful way. No, but if you had to choose, you definitely have one. Who? Dad was staunch. Nope, I love both my children equally. His voice was matter-of-fact. He wasn't going to budge. There was a couple of seconds of quiet at the table, and then the man's voice came again. Janet? What about you? He asked my mum. Silence for another moment. Then. Sam. My heart dropped a little as I stood huddled against that shaft of light coming from the other side of the dining room door. I turned and began to silently scurry back to my bed as fast as possible but I couldn't help tuning in to a few more words as they all kept talking. I couldn't make out full sentences anymore, but I knew it was my mother's voice. Something like sensible, good boy, and very disciplined and quiet, 
And then I thought I made out the words more difficult and something about mothers and daughters needing to be closer. Back beneath my lilac bedspread, my pulse beating fast in my ears, I turned my mum's response over and over in my mind, wondering how she could deliver her answer with so much certainty. I'd always had the sense that the relationship mum had with my brother was not the same as the one she had with me. I felt like I was held on a different, tighter leash under more scrutiny than my brother. But as I lay under the covers, I thought that what she was saying was true. My brother was, in general, a better child than me. He was much more sensible and well-behaved. He was less outgoing and loud and annoying than I was. He did his schoolwork, he got great grades, he did housework too, and he was handsome. Those things mattered. More than that, I knew that as a daughter, I had different duties to Sam. And I couldn't be sure, but it had sounded like Mum had been conceding that we would be closer if only I did better. From housework, to schoolwork, to how I presented myself. I had to do better. I had to be perfect. Love Language is out now. All the details are in the show notes for you. Next time on Tough Love. Yeah. This week. This weekend. On, on Saturday. I want you to stay. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're a messy girl. Look at me. What do you mean? I, I organised everything before you came here. Yeah, not bad for, for you. On the flip side, I had Magnus run out to me and hug me and me not have to say anything. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, my God. Tough Love is a podcast by me, Linda Mariano. It's produced by me, Amelia Chapelo, and Adair Shepherd, with support from Mike Williams. Going fucking insane. Want to find out what happens next? Follow Tough Love so you never miss an episode. If you like the show, why not support us by rating and leaving a review? Help us connect with more tough cookies like you. And you know I always love hearing from you. If you want to get in touch, you can email me, hellotoughlove at gmail.com, or you can say hello on Instagram, at toughloveteam. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Love you. Ciao, ciao.